Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Starting next week, we will return back to our series on the book of James. But as this is my first Sunday here at Tunnel Hill this year, I would like to take a moment and look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be starting in verse 38 and reading through to verse 48, which is also the end of the chapter. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. These are Jesus' words during the Sermon on the Mount, and it says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and to take your shirt, let him also take your coat as well. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Please be seated. I think if you read this passage and you get kind of the initial statement here, there's a lot of times we look at what Jesus is saying in this passage and we immediately say, I can't do that. And we kind of, because it seems like such a tall order and it seems like something that, that like, oh, I could never do that. And, and, we, and we do this all the time, but we say it in a lot more churchy ways. You ever been in, a, in like Sunday school or been in like a church Bible study and had someone just suddenly go, well, nobody's perfect. No, the, you know how I kind of interpret that? I'm not even going to try that. Like, well, the Bible tells us to do this. Well, you know, nobody's perfect. Like, yeah, that's not happening. We do that from time to time. In fact, I bet if you even think about your life in general, has there ever been something in your life where someone has told you, I want you to do something, and you immediately went, it's never going to happen. Maybe it was a chore, maybe it was a job, maybe it was a challenge. Matthew's over here smiling, I have no idea what he is already guilty of, but you need to listen today apparently. We do this, we do this all the time where we just immediately write ourselves off and say, well, I'm never, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to accomplish that. I'm never going to achieve that. So why even try? Right? We do that. And yet sometimes though, we don't have any other choice, do we? And sometimes we say, well, I don't think I'm going to succeed. I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to pull this off, but you know what? I'm going to try and I'm not going to quit. And I'm going to keep trying. And I'm going to keep trying. And I may mess up, but I'm going to keep trying. And then suddenly we recognize that we have done that task that at one point seemed impossible. 
I was reminded as I was preparing for this uh, study as seen from the movie Facing the Giants. Now, Facing the Giants is a movie about a high school football team. It is a faith-based movie. And in the midst of that movie, there is a football team that is not doing very well. And, and the coach of that football team is, is about to that point where he thinks that he's going to get fired. And, and he doesn't know how he's going to turn it around. And, and finally, he just hands everything over to God. But there's a problem kind of at the beginning of all that, that, that whole change over is that he's handed everything over to God, but his team hasn't. And so he's trusting in the Lord and trusting God for his outcome, but his team is not. His team does not believe in themselves. His team does not think that, that they have what it takes to, to win tough games or really to win any games at all. And in the midst of one of their practices, they, they ask the question, do you think we can beat the team we're playing this Friday? And one of the kind of leaders, the more outspoken people on the team says, there's no way. They're better than us. They've got more players. They're bigger. They're stronger. I know who they are. I know what they look like. I know who we are. I know what we look like. And there's no way we're going to beat this team. And the coach says, all right, young man, come up here. And they'd been running a drill that they called the death crawl. And the death crawl was when they would have a guy get on all fours like a, like a bear crawl and another person would climb on their back and they'd have to carry that person on all fours a certain distance. And he says, I want to challenge you. You're going to do this death crawl, but I want to challenge you. Do you think you can, how far do you think you can go? And they're in one end zone. And he says, I don't know, I could probably get to the 30. And he says, no, I want, I want you to go farther. I want you to try to go to the 50. He goes, I can't make it to the 50. He says, okay, but I want you to try. And he goes, all right, I'll try. He goes, but wait, one more thing. I want to blindfold you so you can't see how far you're going. So they blindfold the guy and he gets down on all fours and they put the guy on his back and he starts crawling and he's going and he's going and he's going and the whole time the coach is coaching him on, don't do it, you're almost there, don't quit, don't quit, keep going. And what started with the, his teammates and the rest of the people on the team were clapping and cheering, go, come on man, you can do it, you can do it. And he, and he keeps going, he keeps going, he says, don't quit, don't quit. He's like, it hurts, it burns. He's like, yeah, but don't quit. I don't think I can go much further. Don't you give up on me, don't quit. I don't, I don't know if I can do it anymore. You only have 10 more steps, you can do it. And he kept going and going and going until finally the man's arms gives out and he hits the ground, he goes, I couldn't do it. I'm sorry, coach. I couldn't do it. I couldn't make it the full 50 yards. I'm sorry. I tried, but I couldn't do it. And he said, take off the blindfold. And the man took off the blindfold and he said, you're in the end zone. You didn't go 50 yards. You went 100 yards. Now, what did he say at the beginning? What did he say? How far did he think he could go? 30. And he went 100. A lot of times, we sell ourselves short on what we think we can and can't do. And I think that's true of our, of our walk with Jesus also. The theme of our message today, which is going to be the theme for Tunnel Hill Baptist Church throughout 2022, is to love further. And I think a lot of times we put limitations on how much we are willing to love. How much we are willing to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. How much we are willing to love those outside of our community. But as we look at our passage today, Jesus is challenging us to love further 
than we think we're able. And as we unpack these, these, these commands and these challenges by Jesus today, I want you to begin to internalize and to begin to think to yourself, how is God calling me to love further in 2023? There's two main things that I want us to kind of understand from this passage and and really apply to our lives. The first of those two things is that we do not love according to the world's standards. Now, I love what Jesus is doing here. This is some of my favorite stuff out of Jesus when he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He is taking kind of the general predominant thought of the culture of that time and he is challenging them to go beyond it. And so it begins with this. First, he says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is in scripture. This is not like he's pulling this out of nowhere. In fact, there are several places in the Old Testament where we hear this line repeated. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to read to you. I'm not going to, I am looking at you, but I'm not. I'm going to look at Deuteronomy 19.21. And this is where we see it. It says, thus you shall not show pity, life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. Now, the context of this passage is around fraud. It was around moving boundary markers and basically trying to steal your neighbor's land from him so that you could claim it for yourself. And in the midst of all this, he's saying this is the appropriate punishment for someone committing fraud within the nation of Israel. See, the purpose, again, of this scripture was to ensure that people who were guilty of a crime or sin, as we might say, within the nation of Israel and us today, were punished in a fitting manner. Understand that for just a second. The statement, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, which we hear today, don't we? You ever heard anybody, ever seen anybody or heard anybody get mad at someone else and they start saying, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to think of my kids, my siblings. I want, I want what they did to me, I want to do to them, right? When we think of that, that's not what this passage is about. This passage was about, listen, the punishment needs to, needs to fit the crime. If they took something, they need to give it back. If they've done something, they need to to have that same punishment. It was about not taking vengeance beyond what was appropriate or necessary. Today, we see this in our own culture in the Eighth Amendment that forbids cruel and unusual punishment. Say what you want, but so much of our governing documents as a nation were were brought forth from Christian principles and from biblical principles. However, the people had done something to the passage. And really, it's the exact same thing we do to the passage as well. Instead of it being a safeguard against excessive punishment, it becomes a right to retaliation. So think about this for a second. When they said in Jesus' time and in Jesus' culture at that moment, when they said eye for an eye, what they took that to mean is I have a right to pay that person back. That person did something to me and I have a right, a duty, and an obligation to do that right back to them. I know for a fact we still do that today because I direct a, a camp. And you put about 20 middle school boys in a cabin and you're going to see this happen. I have one hard, passionate rule at camp. Grace, what's my hard, passionate rule at camp? No pranks. 
I don't like pranks. If you've ever been to camp with me, you know I don't like pranks. You know why I don't like pranks? Because eye for an eye is never eye for an eye. It's eye for an eye and a nose. And an eye and a nose for an eye and a nose and a part of their hair. And I've been part of their hair, and it always goes too far. I once had a kid bring an electric pen, one of those shock pens, to camp. This is before I was a director. And he thought, I love this kid. He was great. He just thought it was funny. And so during one of the times, so he goes, hey, man, do you need to use my pen? And the guy goes, oh, yeah, thanks. And the guy goes, duh. And he's like, is this a shock pen? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, hold on. Hey, you want to use my pen? And next thing I know, I have four boys holding down one boy as their shock penning is back multiple times. That's how I know that eye for an eye and this right to retaliation doesn't work because we never say, okay, I got you, you got me, we're even. We don't do it. We say, you got me, I'm going to get you and a little bit more. And then that person says, well, you got me a little bit more, so I'm going to get you a little bit more until it goes way too far. Do you see how we've twisted the Scripture to mean something that it wasn't supposed to mean? But when we think this way, and we never consult the full counsel of Scripture, what we end up getting is vengeance and anger and somebody that is finally says in, in the camp context is, I'm done and I'm ready to go home. And we see it in the world, and we see it in our hearts, and we see it in our own families. But when we look to the full counsel of Scripture, we see things like we find in Romans twelve nineteen, that says, never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God as it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, this passage was not about us getting our own revenge, but about us committing things to God and even doing so through the proper processes. The next OT passage that we see here, the next Old Testament passage, we see in that love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Now, this is an interesting passage because we really don't have a command in the Old Testament that says, hate your enemies. Love your neighbors, we certainly have. We find that in Leviticus 19, 18, where it says, for you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's a no-brainer. That's one that we quote all the time. But where did this hate your enemies come from? Well, one thing we could just say is it's not there. And let's be honest, it's not a stretch for us even in our culture today to want to add things into Scripture that aren't actually in Scripture. Things like God helps those who help themselves. It may also, and this is a possibility, that it came from some of the other teachings. In Psalm 139, verse 21, we read this. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? This could have been their application of this verse. It could have also come from a couple of texts where God declares the, the enmity that he, that, that he had with, with Moab and Ammon, and Ammon and Amalek. And they had taken that to a point that, that they had said, well, we can love our neighbors, but we can hate our enemies. Well, there's a problem here. One, and we see this in other passages in Scripture, Who's your neighbor? 
and who's your enemy? And for some of you, you'd say, that's the same person. Because I can't stand the person living next to me. Now, if they're your in-laws, you shouldn't be smiling right now. And so we start to get this confusion, but that's what they did. And, and basically what that boiled down to is if they're your friends and they're your people and they're your, your social group, then you're supposed to love them and treat them well. But if they're not, you can treat them like dirt. And that's not, and, and, and Jesus is speaking out against this. Again, they have taken what the word of God said and they have turned it into something else. See, the teaching, even that we see in Psalm 139, was to point to those who were God's enemies but we had turned it into those who were my enemies. Again, this is not a stretch. We live in a day and age where we want to take everything God says and make it all about us and our glory and our comfort and our way of doing things and not about God. It is almost as if we have traded spots with God, that we look at God and say, I don't like this person, God, so you can't like them either. Now think about that for a second. You have probably never said that. You have probably never said, God, I don't like this person. And so I want you to not like them too. You've probably never said that. But you probably have knowingly and willfully refused to share the gospel with them because you didn't really want them to be a part of God's kingdom. You have probably knowingly and will willingly refuse to invite them to revival services, a youth event, church in general, or even just engage them in any sort of spiritual or, 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 or encouraging conversation because of the fact that you had deemed them unworthy of the grace of God because you didn't like them. We, and we all do it. We've all probably at some point known someone and God just laid out an opportunity for us to share our faith, talk about Jesus, invite them to something church-related, and we went, nah, I don't want to deal with them. If they come, then I'm going to have to sit with them, and I don't really like them, and then, then I'm going to have to invite them to my home group, and then they're going to know where I live, and if they know where I live, then they might want to get my phone number, and then they're going to have my phone number, and then that person's going to be calling me all the time, and I, I just can't take all that, so I'm not going to invite them to nothing. Jesus points out that this behavior, both the hatred, the indifference, even the retaliation that we see at the beginning are fleshly, carnal, and worldly. And when we attach a Bible verse in hopes of justifying our behavior and doing what we want to do anyways, we recognize that it just leads those who are far from God to say, why would I believe in your God when you act just like everyone else? See, something we need to recognize is if we're going to be a church but we're going to act just like the world and set our priorities just like the world and we're going to love people just like the world and we're going to treat people just like the world treats people, guess what? They already have the world. They don't need us. And so Jesus calls us to do something more. In fact, I would say that Jesus calls us to love people further than what the world demands. 
And we see this in every passage when he says, but I say to you. If we look at the passage, we begin to recognize what Jesus is calling them to do. All, a lot of it is wrapped up in that first line that says, do not resist an evil person. With that, it means he says, if they slap you on your right cheek, turn to them the other. If they sue you for your shirt, give them your coat. If they, if they command you and force you to walk one mile, give them two miles instead. If they ask you for something, to give it to them. Along with all of this, we are called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and treat us poorly. Now, going back to what I said at the beginning, I know that there are some in this room who have already said, I'm out. And I'm not doing these things, so you better tell me why I don't have to. And that's exactly what the people were doing at that time. I want you to think about that for a second. If I were, if you were in a Sunday school class, or you were in one of our home groups, or you're even here right now, and I said, listen, when mean people are mean to you, don't fight with them. If they hit you, just turn the other cheek. If they try to take stuff from you, let them have it. If they make you do something, go even beyond that and do more for them than what they, com- they demanded of you. The people that hate you, the people that would be your enemies, you need to love them. And the people who treat you poorly, you need to pray for them. Almost everyone in this room, myself included, wants to look at that and say, what's the loophole here? Please tell me how in the Greek it says this, but it doesn't mean this, Right? Or we just say, well, nobody's perfect. We recognize that this is hard. And sometimes when things are hard, especially as we talk about faith, we take hard and immediately jump to impossible. And we take impossible and we lead it to, I'm not even going to try. But guess what? That's the point. That is the very reason why Jesus is saying this. He doesn't get into, he doesn't start getting bogged down in all of the this scenario versus that scenario when they do this or when they do that, when they're like this or when they're like that. He says these things and almost everybody there would have been like, whoa, that's asking an awful lot, Jesus. And Jesus is not calling us to be a doormat. He is not justifying our abuse by people who would want to physically or mentally abuse us. He is not institutionalizing any oppression of one group over another. But he is telling us to be radically different than what our culture would expect us to do. And I want you to think about that for a second. You, If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called to be radically different than the world around you. We were not meant to fit in. But we are called to love further than is expected. First, I want to kind of break this down for you so it might be a little bit more helpful. First, we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that seeks their ultimate good and not our own. See, that's one of the first things I think we mess up on as the church is that when we get in the church, we are just as misbehaved as they are in your workplace or if you're in your clubs or in your school or in your friend groups. And people are like, why bother? 
there's this group over here and this group over here and this faction over here and these people over here and these people only do this thing and these people only do that thing and these people are, are, are only doing this thing and they don't really like each other and they don't really talk to each other and they don't really do anything for each other. And heck, we could have that at our other jobs. We need to love each other in a self-sacrificing way so that we are more concerned about building up, helping, and encouraging the other people in the room than ourselves. We need to not complain about music. We need to not complain about times when things start or who's using what part of the building at what time. We need to stop worrying about making sure that all of our needs are met and start saying, how can I love the people in my church in such a way that they are built up and they are edified? Romans 15 says it this way, Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You may be here today and you have decades of Bible knowledge and Sunday school lessons and life experiences and you are just sitting on them. And you are not looking to a younger person, a young man or a young woman, someone still growing up and still getting wisdom and saying, hey, can I, how can I invest in this person? You look around and you say, well, back, you know, back in the day, we used to do this or we used to do that and no one's doing that anymore. But you don't even remotely think for even a second, well, my legs ain't broke. Young people, because I know that sounds like I'm picking on the older folk. Not that I know what older folk is, because I don't, I don't see any older people. <laughs> Young people, you come in here and go, well, I heard this one church did this kind of ministry, and it was geared specifically for me, and how come y'all don't do that? Start it! I heard one of the greatest pieces of advice from a, a collegiate minister this last week, and he said, a lot of us are taught to seek community. Which means we go someplace, we go to a church like this, and we want to seek out and find the people that we can kind of engage with, but no one wants to create it. No one wants to create community to say, hey, I have noticed there is a need for parents. I'm going to apply this to myself. Need for parents who feel like all of their children have gone crazy at the exact same moment. And I'm going to, and you know what? I bet you I'm not the only person in church who doesn't look at their children on the daily and go, you're crazy. Some of you are like, that's never stopped. And I've, my kids are all in there, grown up. And I'm going to start a ministry so that those people can come together, can talk, can dive into the word, can encourage each other, build up each other, love each other, and, 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 and create a community. That's what loving further is. The world says, I have a need, meet it. The church, we, when we love further, says, I see a need, I'm going to meet that. There's a difference. And we need to have that mindset. We need to love further. The second thing we see there is we should respond to those who oppose us 
either personally or because of our Christian faith or because of the church as a whole with love and compassion. And think about for that for just a second. First off, if you're going to stand up for anything, you're going to have an enemy. And we all have people, whether it's, it's, it's formalized or institutionalized in, in legislation or whatnot, or it's a personal thing against us because of something that's happened or a neighbor, what is, the world expects us to respond with retaliation and anger and bitter and strife and mean words and all sorts of things. But we are called by Christ to respond with love and compassion. Going back to Romans 12, it says this, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. You've already heard me read that never take revenge, beloved, for leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I repay, says the Lord. But it continues on to say this, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. And in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that's not the reason why we do it. That's what we call a blessing. But then notice how it, how it finishes, that chapter finishes, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, as we, as we follow Christ, we're going to meet people that just flat out don't like that we follow Christ. And it may be family, and it may be coworkers, it may be friends that are fast becoming former friends. It may be all kinds of people, but we are always, always, always called to respond to them with love and seeking their best and not our own vindication and justification. All of this is what it means to love further. You may be in this room today and you may be thinking to yourself, but I don't feel love towards this person or towards that person. Or I don't, I don't want to be loving towards this group or that group because I don't know them and I don't understand them or, or because they've never done anything like that to me. And I just don't, I don't feel it in my heart. How are you telling me to love people when I don't feel love towards them? And that's a good question. But please understand, God is not commanding you to have some feeling of affection towards them. He is calling you to respond to them in a loving manner. If you cannot have affection towards them, then at least try to have compassion. How do you do this? By recognizing that they are much like us, sinners striving to find meaning and purpose and wholeness in a broken world. You ever think about that? That person that maybe treats you really bad? You ever think that maybe the reason they're acting the way that they're acting is because they don't know what you know? But they want to? That they're trying to get ahead at work or they're trying to, to dominate you or, 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 or do whatever they're doing and the reality is behind that is they want their life to mean something? They want to know that while they were on this earth that it mattered. And maybe even that they have some control over their destiny and they're trying to exert that control onto you. And they are desperate. And they are scared. And they don't even know it. Now my hope is, is if you can see them that way, 
that maybe your emotion towards them will move from anger and a desire for retaliation to compassion and pity. And to realize that this is not a person that needs to be beaten, but a person that needs to be helped. One of my favorite lines from the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning is one that you've probably heard before, and it's this, it's that Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. Jesus' command to us to love further is doing that very thing. We have good news. And people need to hear that good news. And some of them will not and cannot hear it until we love them further than what the world would expect us to. And it is then that we will get their attention and it is then that they will begin to see that there is just something about this Jesus. And we have no idea what God will do when we start loving people further. I want to leave you with these words. These are the words of Paul found in Colossians chapter 3. It says this, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The challenge for you today and the challenge throughout 2023 is that will you love people further? Will you love them further down the road? Will you love them further than the world expects? Will you love them further so that they might experience the love of Christ? Now, I don't know how God's going to call you to apply that. But I want to challenge you as we close out our service this morning to prayerfully seek the Lord and ask Him, how might I love people further in 2023? And whatever God is calling you to do, we would invite you to respond by doing that very thing. If you'd like to let me in on what that is, I'm going to be standing up front. We are still going to have a time of invitation and response. Maybe God is calling you to love further by beginning all of that, by surrendering your life to Him, that you want to be one who loves further, and you know that you need God and that you need the Holy Spirit to do that. I will be up here. However God is calling you to respond today, we invite you to respond as we sing our invitation hymn. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, there is no question that you have called us to do hard things. And God, that you have challenged us to go further than what we even think we're able of going. But God, we know that you've given us your spirit, that you've not abandoned us to these things. God, we know that you have have empowered us and equipped us and made us able to do these things. And God, I pray that even right now, The Holy Spirit would be challenging us and and working in our hearts on the areas where we need to love people further. Further than the world, world expects. Further than they've ever been loved before. God, I see a world that desperately needs to experience your love. 
And God, I pray that you would allow the people of this church to be a vessel of your love so that we might pour it out on E-Town, Hardin County, the state of Kentucky, the nation of the United States, and even the world. God, that people would see your love through the way we love and in doing so believe the good news of the gospel. Lord, I know that you can apply this to each and every person in this room in a different way. And God, I pray that you would reveal to us how we might love further for your glory and for your name's sake. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.